0: What's up everyone and welcome to Roots of Humanity, a podcast that celebrates the beautiful people and culture of our world. My name is Drew Binsky. I'm a world traveler and content creator who has spent the past 12 years traveling to all 197 countries in the world. In today's episode, I will be chatting with my friend Jordan Harbinger, a former lawyer who now runs one of the most popular podcasts where he interviews the world's most inspiring people. Jordan is originally from Michigan, and after hearing what he has to say about his state, you will probably put it at the top of your bucket list.
1: Basically everything in Michigan that's worth doing revolves around food, and there's a reason that it's one of the fattest states. It's because we have a lot to eat, and it's all good.
0: Thanks for tuning in, and let's get into it. Where are your parents or grandparents or great grandparents from?
1: So since I'm white and American from Michigan, whenever I ask this question, they're like, so we're Irish, Scottish, Welsh, English, Polish, you know, and you're like, okay, so no one knows. basically." And what I found by digging was that is almost never true except for, especially, well, let me, let me caveat this. So people from Michigan, they'll say they're Polish, but they really are from like what is now Belarus and Uh, But like before that was Ukraine or before that was Poland, like in 1200, whatever. And so... They speak Polish, but they live, you know, your city where they live is gone or it's in Ukraine or it's in Belarus. And so they're kind of all right, but also totally wrong. And on my grandfather on my mom's side, he was like English Scottish, but, you know, not like with an accent Scottish, but like not sure where my family's from. Came over on a boat Scottish. And my grandmother is from Eastern Europe, but totally not sure. And I looked it up and it's Belarus. It's it's, now it's Belarus. Uh, but there's also a city with the same name in Ukraine. But I assume it's Belarus because there's a lot of Jews there, and that's the Jewish side.
0: If your mom's mom is Jewish, you're 100% Jewish.
1: Right? Yeah, by Jewish law. But like by like white people, they're like, oh, you're one fourth or one eighth or whatever. I'm like, whatever. You know what? It, it, it's like depends who you ask, right? So so I'm I'm down with any verdict on that. Um, although I do I do the, I do rep the Judaism from time to time. Uh, and then on my dad's side, my grandmother was born in Detroit, but her family was from Ukraine. Although Ukraine, Poland, Belarus, who knows, right? She also spoke Polish or some kind of Polish dialect. So it's probably like Northwestern Ukraine, used to be Poland, et cetera, et cetera. And then my grandfather on my dad's side is really, it's funny, I just researched this all a lot last year and earlier this year. There's all these old documents that are in Polish about some loan, I had them translated. It's a loan, nobody knows what it's for. It, It was witnessed by the police in the middle of this tiny little town. That was full also funnily enough full of jews but my dad's side's like no we're not jewish we're we're german polish ukraine and i'm like ah are you sure because this city that you're from is like 80 percent jewish back then it's like a shtetl it's full of like orthodox jews not a whole lot of like random white farmers like the far the family legend is so i'm like i'm like wondering if we're kind of secret jews on that side too and they were just like ah being jewish in eastern europe and eighteen hundreds, hundreds nineteen hundreds early they're just like this is too much trouble forget it you know um so there's a little conspiracy theory there that i have but also there's documents from austria hungary and austria so my grandfather said he was austrian and said he lived in this one town but then all of these papers and documents and passports and stuff and ellis island immigration stuff all says that he was actually from a totally different part that is now that was austria-hungary and now is ukraine but you know world war one sort of shuffled all those borders around so he also speaks polish and german so it's it's kind of it's cool because it's like oh you're from a country that doesn't really exist anymore or like at least not in the same form as it does now
0: you've literally just named a quarter of the european countries austria belarus ukraine
1: ireland scotland england i forgot ireland yeah
0: I'm assuming you've been to many of those countries. I'm assuming.
1: I have been to the UK, not not Scotland or Ireland. Um, I know that sort of counts, but that's a complex thing. I haven't been to Belarus because it's really, it's actually, it was kind of hard to go. I tried to go there once and they were like, do you have a visa? And I was like, no. And they're like, two choices. One, step over this line and get arrested for not having a visa or just turn around and get home. And I was like, all right. So I went back to Ukraine where I was because... I was sort of like dumb American kid, 22. I was like, I can go anywhere and just get a visa when I arrive. And Belarus is like, you know, communism has entered the chat. You cannot just come in to this country.
0: Fun fact, Belarus is the third hardest visa I've ever had to get. And in 2015, when I went, Americans needed to get a visa. Now it's visa free. But I had to go to the embassy in Tallinn, Estonia, denied. Riga, Latvia, denied. Then I went to Vilnius, Lithuania, and I had to go back three times. And then they're like, oh, you have the wrong insurance. You need to purchase our insurance. It was a huge nightmare, but I ended up getting the visa. So I had to try in three different countries to get it.
1: I'm so surprised to hear that because you think you'd be like, I just want to go to your country and spend money that's not from your country and hard currency. And they're like, okay, uh, $100 fee that I'm going to put in my pocket and I'll give you the stamp that you need not so huh
0: i agree man putting in your pocket that's a very valid statement for many visas to get around the world.
1: I used to get North Korean visas. We talked about this a little, b- probably when we did the podcast, but when I used to get North Korean visas for other tourists, that process was go to the bar in Beijing, meet the North Korean diplomats, give them an envelope full of money, and they would slide us these like tissue paper <laughs> visas that would slip in your passport In the when end. When I got my
0: Guinea-Bissau visa uh, in Madrid, I literally walked in and the guy was like a lunatic. It was like an hour long conversation. I was sitting there, I was like, it's not gonna happen. He's like, you got money? Give me money took out a hundred dollar bill i literally shook his hand literally shook his hand he grabbed it and then he in that moment he stamped the passport and he goes get out of here <laughs> there's like no system of, of visas it's crazy
1: but it also makes you wonder if you're going to show up and they're going to be like what is this dude
0: it's like scalping a concert ticket outside the venue and you go to and you go in and they're like that's the wrong uh, that's not a ticket
1: that's what i'd be worried about like landing in guinea Bissau, and the person's like this is a stamp from like our equivalent like from chuck e cheese you can go to jail you can't come in anywhere else though
0: so now that i know a little bit your family background, which is interesting. I'm, I'm full Jewish and a lot of the countries you, you mentioned is where my grandparents or great-grandparents came or escaped from. Do you identify with any country more than the other or are you just like full-on American and you, and you never think about your European uh, background?
1: I rarely think about my European background except that actually, I should say, this has changed over the course of my life. When I was a kid, I never thought about it because I was like, oh, foreign countries, whatever, you know? And then it was like, I never heard my grandma and grandpa speaking other languages. They always just spoke weird-accented English and I was maybe never curious enough about it. Now, as an adult, I'm like, ah, I have so many questions and they've been dead for 20 years, you know, or more. But when I, I was an exchange student in high school and I went to Germany and then they were like, oh, your name is this and your grandpa's name was that they're German for sure. And I was like, oh, they are. They're from Austria or something. And then they were like, well, let's drive there one time. And we I was like, you can drive there because in America, you can't drive driving to another country. If if I lived in Michigan, you could drive to Canada. You know, maybe if you're in the South, you could drive to Mexico, you're not driving to some other place. But in, in Europe, they're like, oh, yeah, it's a three hour drive from here. And I'm like, really? So or not even. So we drove to this city in Austria and I was like, oh yeah, my grandfather was supposedly born here. And they're like, all right, let's go to this church where all the people are registered when they're born. Cause there's like one church in this town that probably did all that. So we we went there and the priest was like, oh, you got to notify me earlier, but I do have some books, looked through it and was like, yeah, sorry. I don't have anything for your grandfather. And they're like, was he born on a farm? I'm like, oh, yeah, certainly. And they're like, oh, yeah, we never we never wrote any of those names down. We, we can't keep track of every peasant that gets born in a bale of hay and cow turds. Like, but your grandfather's off the books for sure, man. That was kind of like how it was back in, you know, 1906, I think that he was born or 19. Yeah, something like that.
0: So let's talk Michigan, because that is more of your cultural identity. You grew up in Michigan. I'm a huge Midwestern lover. I, I, my dad's from Chicago. Uh, I went to University of Wisconsin-Madison not sure if I told you that but I spent four years in the midwest absolutely love the culture the hospitality and it feels like home for me talk about life growing up in Michigan and maybe how Michigan feels different than other parts of the country and why do you love Michigan
1: yeah it's interesting I, I mean I don't live in Michigan anymore I live in California and California has a lot of friendly people but it also has a lot of people that are I'd say middle of the road slash normal and I put that in quotes because I came from New York after Michigan so I went from Michigan to New York and I was like dang people are really sort of abrupt but as I got to know New York and New Yorkers I was like actually they're very nice. they just don't have time for your your bullshit candidly, right? So, like, if you're like, excuse me, where's the thing? You'll have people walk you to a subway station if they're going in that direction. People think New Yorkers are rude, but it's because you go, hmm, I don't know, what's a good place to eat? And they go, oh, I love uh, O'Hara's down in the street. And you go, mm, I don't know, I don't really want a sandwich. And they're like, well, good luck, dude, bye. You know, like, I gave you a recommendation, go fuck yourself. But New Yorkers are very hospitable, and they will, like, come to your aid if you need something a lot of the time. Like, it, it really can be more like that, like, more like Michigan than I thought. I went out to breakfast a couple weeks ago with my wife. Wife and there was someone who was like, Oh, nice Detroit Tigers hat you have there, young man. And I was like, Oh yeah. And he's like, I'm from St. Clair Shores. They're like talking about baseball and all the stuff. I wish I knew I don't care about baseball. But you know, you like talk about it to be friendly and you talk about Michigan stuff, and they're like, Oh, we retired out here and our grandkids live out here. And they're talking, and my wife's like, Wow, they talked to you for like a long time. That always happens when people see your Detroit hat. And I'm like, That's what Michigan's like. You know, California, if you're in bosnia and you run into someone from california you're like oh cool california right on dude have a good time if you meet someone from michigan and you are in anywhere that's not michigan they're like whoa my god what are you doing here you know it's like you met them in a volcano like they're just surprised to see you they can't believe it and some of that is because a lot of people from that area don't travel as much so when they do they're like it's such a small world whereas californians are like in australia and they're like oh yeah whatever you know so i do think that that's cool about the culture and i I sort of i appreciate that about michigan because it feels a little bit safer even if it's not it's just a thing that feels safer when people are nicer to you or like i've been locked out of places in michigan in the winter and they're like oh honey wait in here it's too cold and i'm like this stranger is like letting me in their house because it's freezing well one it never gets freezing in california but if you if it was 110 out i don't think anybody'd be like oh honey wait in here they'd be like dang look at that idiot standing out in the sun i'm in phoenix right now i
0: just moved back here because i'm from originally but it's the same People aren't, they don't have that really genuine hospitality warmth that that you can find in the Midwest, which is, and the South also has it. I have family in Texas, but if you travel through Georgia and Alabama, I mean, those people are just so incredibly hospitable. So it is interesting to think about that when you break the country up in in that way.
1: Some of it's transplants though, man. Like if you meet someone in California What are the odds that they're born and raised in California Eh, 50-50? I mean, not really, but, you know, that contributes to the breakup of, like, strong community roots. You know, if you're in Michigan, you run into somebody from Michigan, there's, like, a really good chance they lived in that same place for their whole life or 30 years or whatever. So, of course, they know you're not from there. They know everyone around. They know the situation. They know what the weather's going to be like. I'm not going to do that for somebody that I run into in New York City if I've been there for a year and a half. Not necessarily. You know because i don't feel as rooted there i think that's part of it
0: absolutely man if somebody's gonna visit michigan for the first time and they have like a week to spend and they've never been before and they're super excited where would you tell them to go
1: places are one thing i would say definitely check out the new downtown detroit they're sort of rebuilding that and making it nicer it goes in waves but there's like all this sort of privatized cool stuff hipster hipster ish down there you got to go to these restaurants called coney island they're everywhere i didn't realize when i moved that this was only kind of a michigan thing They're named after an amusement park in New York for some reason, but they serve a very specific type of hot dog with a very specific type of skin on the hot dog, with a very specific type of meat blend in the hot dog. Very specific type of mustard, onion, you could throw ketchup on there. The very specific type of bun, they're cooked in a very obviously specific type of way, and it's like a chili, and there's chili on there. But it's not like good quality chili, it's bad quality chili, but it's delicious, so you have to get that kind and whenever I go to a restaurant in California a restaurant in New York or a restaurant somewhere else and they try and make it, they blow it. They're like, oh, I can't find Kegel's hot dogs, so I just use this. And it's like, nah, not, not good. Oh, I put my homemade chili on there, not like this Hormel stuff that's been in a can for three years. Eh, not the right thing. So you got to get coney dogs. You definitely never only have one. You have like three and you get chili cheese fries with it and then you don't eat for three days because you can't.
0: <laughs> Where else would you tell people to go?
1: This is something I have found, it doesn't exist in a lot of other places, maybe just in California, there's a cider mill and it's really, there's, they're all over actually, but they make fresh cider and they ferment some of it and they make donuts and you go there and it's kind of like a pumpkin patch scenario and they do a lot of like hay rides and haunted houses and I've been trying to find that in California and you can find a pumpkin patch But you can't find one that has like an apple orchard and that they're making cider and that they're also making donuts. I don't know if that's a Michigan thing or what. Basically everything in Michigan that's worth doing revolves around food. And there's a reason that it's one of the fattest states. It's because we have a lot to eat and it's all good.
0: That's awesome, man. Some of those scenes you described are so, I I feel like I've been there before, even though I haven't been to that place. But like, I was just talking about this with someone. I was at a folklore festival in Miava, Slovakia. It's in the countryside of Slovakia. And it was just the way that they made the food. And it's like, you know, it's been passed down generation after generation after generation and they're wearing the same traditional clothes and they're singing these folk songs. And I'm just like, this is incredible, and and so much of of our country, of the United States, it's literally split. It's like if you go to countryside, and if you go to Midwest and and Southern states, you can find that a lot. But we have
1: country music. It's not from the middle, like you transported to the middle Middle Ages with the True. folklore in Slovakia. Like that's some like minstrels dancing, playing like the lute or whatever. But in in America, we don't think about this because we go, oh, it's a rednecky southern stuff. Country music is not as old, granted, but that is that's as. American as it gets. When you travel around the states or
0: travel around other countries and you identify as someone from michigan do people respond a certain way or are they like what's happening there
1: it of course it depends right because if you if i'm international i say i live in california because they're like oh i've heard of that but if i'm like oh i'm from michigan people will be like oh that must be one of those states that's not new york not california not texas and not i don't know chicago because they don't know that you know like people have heard of that or miami but like michigan it's it's not a state where people are like oh yeah well actually now with eminem It's more of a thing. You know, you say, oh, I grew up in Detroit. They're like, Eminem, 8 Mile. You know, he really put it on the map because before that, internationally, Detroit Motor City was a thing like for the cars, but it's been a while since that's been like a thing to, you know, repping Michigan Motor City. It's way more Eminem now. Uh, But yeah, people will often think that if I say I'm from Detroit, they're like, damn, you must be bulletproof. Or like, what's it like being white from Detroit? And I'm like, okay, let me be frank. I worked in Detroit in a really dangerous area, but we lived in the suburbs. So I didn't grow up like dodging bullets. There were no drive-by shootings in my neighborhood, you know, that kind of thing. But if I say Michigan, people in the U.S. are often like, Oh, okay, you got those lakes. And it's like, then you can tell they've never been there. But there's also not a huge draw to Michigan these days from other parts of the US. Mostly adults that are like in their 50s, they're just kind of like, oh, that place is having a rough time. Cause Detroit, it, it, like in the 1990s, was just such a, I mean, it was the downhill roller coaster. That still hasn't gone really on the upswing yet like we outsourced our auto manufacturing to mexico and like it ruined like whole suburbs and all the factories closed and it really is kind of like everybody i know who lived in michigan that was like promising has 90 percent have left there were tons of people that love michigan and were like screw this i'm staying and they're great people they weren't like people that couldn't leave but i'd say 90 to 80 to 90 percent of the people that could leave we ran for the coasts you know whereas People who grow up in a place like California, Florida, New York, while it's natural to want to leave the nest, I think people who grew up in Albany are like, I'm going to the city. They don't mean Detroit. They mean New York, right? If you grew up in California, maybe you do a stint in LA or San Francisco, or you stay around where you are. But like in Michigan, you don't go, I'm moving to Detroit, right? Your parents would be like, where did we go wrong? You you leave.
0: So you are kind of confirming that Detroit is as bad as they say, because I have buddies who live in the suburbs. You no, know, I think he lives in Ann Arbor, one of my friends. And he's told me, my friend Jacob Haspio, he's told me that in, in Detroit, it's actually not so bad anymore. But, but I don't know. I've never been in it, right?
1: I mean, look, if he goes there regularly, it's probably not as bad as it once was. If you, he's going to like those upbeat sort of hipster areas, right? I drove through there and I went, oh man, like when you're outside of, literally my dad was like calling it the green zone, which is like a reference to Iraq. Like if you're outside of that, like, oh, we got a cafe and a cool hotel and some nice new apartments that are all refurbished office buildings. If you're outside of that, there's more burned down houses on the street than there are non-burned down houses. There's no police and fire service in a lot of those neighborhoods there's no water and electricity i think in some of those neighborhoods there's no sanitation wow. services in a lot of those areas so like there are places where it will take days or hours for the cops to go the fire service can't get to you the ambulance can't get to you and under like an hour there's no you know it's just not a thing and and a lot of people can't get water or electricity certainly the garbage is a thing and the reason is because. If there's a block and there's three houses on the block, and the people that live there are 90 years old, and all of the other houses are abandoned or burned down, you're not going to go there. You're not going to drive through there and patrol. You know, there's no activity. There's just there's nothing there and and the people that live there are so old they never leave their house and meals on wheels comes and drops stuff off i mean that's a lot of detroit and it's really sad because some of the homes that you see that are burned down or abandoned they're like these gorgeous 1800 whatever victorian homes and you think man if you if you refurb this to the cost of 2 million whatever dollars it would be a glorious piece of historical architecture right. but The owner died in 1991 and nobody bought it because the property taxes are still sky high in Detroit and the house is worth negative 300 grand. You know, like no one's going to buy that.
0: Crazy, man. You know what I'm I'm fascinated about Michigan? Something that fascinates me about Michigan is that in Detroit or in a suburb of Detroit, it's the largest population of Muslims in the US. There's actually a city or a town, I can't remember the name, but it's like over 50% Islamic, and, and I'm personally fascinated with these little micro communities, uh, the diaspora living around the US. And I've, I went to like the Syrian uh, community in, in LA and, and the Afghan community, and, and even in, te- in in a place in Texas, uh, can't remember the city, it was in the middle of nowhere. There's a huge Czech population. Uh, it was like in the middle, what was the name of that town? Uh, can't, it's going to come to me in a second, but I just think it's so fascinating how people group together. Oh, and, and another one, sorry. In Minnesota, there's a huge Somali population. So I went there and I met some. I met some Somalis and they took me around Michigan with Muslims. So aside from the alliteration, <laughs> Michigan Muslim, I have no idea how they got there, why they're there. It's so cold there. Did you grow up with Muslim friends? Did you acknowledge it?
1: Yeah, there were tons of Persians, Lebanese, Lebanese food. Oh, you gotta go eat Lebanese food because unless you are from Lebanon, you can't get this kind of food anywhere but Michigan. And there's a billion Lebanese restaurants and they all are pretty damn good. Because it's real Lebanese food. It's not like when some white dude who's like, oh, this city's all pizzerias is like opening up a Lebanese place and like it's a bunch of, you know, dudes in the back cooking it. It's like the real thing. I don't 100% know why, but the reason that Polish people, Czech people, Macedonian people, Serbian people, all these Eastern European cultures came and European cultures came to Detroit was because the auto industry was like, we're hiring anybody who can move around and move in, and hold parts. English, Eh, we're not too worried about it. As long as you can sign your name on a check and you can, you know, like some basic stuff, you're assembling cars. We need human robots. So they had a ton of immigrants go there. And that's one of the reasons why it's also uh, such a strong city when it comes to the African-American population. Um, a lot of people came from the South and they were like, oh, I can get a job here because it was just hiring like a mofo to build cars and then auto suppliers and all the you know machining tools all that stuff so basically anybody who's willing to do work like real work moved there and I would imagine that around that time, there was probably an exodus of Lebanese people because of the civil war. And there was probably an exodus of Iranians Pers- uh, Iranians from the revolution. And then before that, there was probably, you know, who-, who knows? And so they probably came for that reason. And then they continued to come in over time because of the, per- the revolution and the civil war and the- everything in the Middle East, because they went, oh man, I want to go to a place that has some people that I know. Oh, my uncle's friend's cousin and all his friends, they live in Dearborn. So it's just, you know, immigrant populations like your Somali area. They go, well, where do I move? Oh, Tom lives in Washington, D.C. or the Ethiopians. Like, go to D.C. There's a bunch of Ethiopians there. And then it just becomes little Ethiopia, which Dearborn's different because Dearborn is not just Lebanese. It's not just Persian. It's not even just Arabic speakers. There's like Farsi places. And you're like, oh, Salam alaikum. And they're like, hey, you know, this is not. And you're like, even the right you know it's confusing because you just don't know what you're kind of doing and you can go to clubs there and there's people from all over so i think it's the largest muslim population outside the middle east but i could be wrong it could be the largest arabic population outside the middle east
0: kosovo and albania are not in the middle east and they're muslim countries in
1: europe so i think it's arabic population
0: yeah or outside of muslim majority countries this is the highest concentration of them in one city that could be it
1: we used to have some sort of bragging point but that doesn't mean we were right i think it might be largest arabic population largest population of arabs outside the middle east although maybe maybe we just thought that because well kosovo was part of serbia during that time
0: was before 2007 yeah
1: maybe we didn't think about that and then albania yeah okay that's true there's albania
0: gotcha bro yeah you got me on that one that's fascinating man I, i i have a love for islam i'm full jewish my my families are eisenbergs cohen's goldbergs you know so it's like it doesn't get any more jewish than that but i i've spent so much time in the middle east and i love islamic culture and and it's so similar to judaism and there's huge misconception misconceptions about that religion and so that's why i've always been drawn to michigan and i'm i have a couple stories that i want to make when i go there and just kind of go around and eat at all the lebanese restaurants and kind of sit down and like how are you guys living here you guys are all speaking arabic do you even speak english because there are people there that are just surviving on arabic because i've spoken to people who live there and they're like yeah all the shops they speak arabic and it's so cool to me oh
1: to your to your question yeah i grew up with a kid named sammy eid who was blonde haired blue eyes basically reflective in the sun and he was Lebanese and there's a lot of you'll meet girls and you're like oh you know where are you from da, da, da. and they're like where's your family from or you'll talk to them for a while like blonde hair blue eyes tall white and they'll be like yeah my name is Samantha Obid. and you're like Obed? hmm, that sounds like a you know Syrian something and they're like yeah my pa-. and you meet their parents and you're like wait a minute your dad has like giant dark bushy eyebrows and your mother is like you know very dark skin like what happened and she's like uh, who knows Middle East, because the Middle East has such weird genetics, right? It's like, there'll be entire populations of people that are like blonde hair and blue eyes. And it's not like, they're not albino. They just have some recessive gene that's from like, you know, crusaders or whatever. And there you go.
0: Dude, you would be so surprised when I travel through Syria and even like Iraq, I was there a few months ago, people will start speaking Arabic to me. And I'm like, "Mm, clearly I have red hair. And they're like, and they show me a picture on their phone. They're like, look, my cousin has red hair. And then I'll be on the street and I'll like meet someone with the same hair color. And we have this weird eye contact. But it's the craziest thing. Like you said, you know, I think Syria and Afghanistan, some of these countries, they have the widest variety of faces. Because in Afghanistan, you have um, Hazara tribe people who who look Chinese or they look Central Asian, and then you have European-looking Pashtun people, um, and then there's different offshoots of that, and then you have people that look real Middle Eastern and real Persian, the real yeah, bushy eyebrow, hairy kind. And you're just, but they're all speaking the same language. It's completely mind-blowing.
1: You see pictures of Afghanistan, some of which are yours from your Instagram, but there's dudes that have red hair where you're like, dude, it looks like a dye job, it's so red, but obviously it's not. It's just a guy with really freaking red-ass hair, and it's like wild, And you, or like, the, there's a famous photo from Nat Geo, right, where the they took the photo of the woman and she has bright green eyes. I mean, that's Alexander the Great and all those other guys rolled through there. Who knows what happened to that gene pool?
0: Genghis Khan, or Genghis Khan, I don't know how to say it, but apparently like one out of every 10 people in the world, in Asia specifically, are
1: So I did that 23andMe and and I have like a 4% Yakut, which is like this Turkic tribe somewhere in... man I used to know this I want to say it's like Turkmenistan Kazakhstan type of area and yeah like we have relatives my mom's like yeah we have relatives that have their eye their eyes look very Asian-y and I'm like oh okay and they're like yeah it's probably that Genghis Khan rolled through there and like made some kids and then they migrated to Eastern Europe I mean it's all very yeah that guy procreated a lot
0: (laughs) so I I don't know if you're aware of this but right now as we speak there are more people living in cities than in in rural areas I mean around around the world at least there was a stat it's like people are just moving to big cities more than in rural areas is that even possible worldwide i mean just think about in india or in china these mega cities they're just like millions and i don't know i i'll send you the stat i i I come across it a couple times and i've heard people talking about it but right now there are more people living in cities than in small towns or villages around the world i don't know how i feel about that i I think it's cool like you're one of those people like you moved from michigan to are you in san francisco Uh, i'm in san jose but yeah it's close enough I think it's, it's great to live in big cities. I mean, I lived, I spent most of the last 10 years living in Prague and Seoul, which is one of the biggest cities in the world in Manila, Hanoi, Bangkok, LA. So I've spent, I love big cities. I love the mix and the randomness of, of, and stuff. But I feel like people really lose their identity. Like think go fast forward a thousand years from now, if everybody's living in these big metropolises then like, how are we going to even relate to each other? I mean, how are we going to have those how are we going to have those Michigan hot dogs that you're talking about? Do you think that's a problem? Do you see that being a problem?
1: I don't know if it's going to be a problem. And actually, I feel like people who live in cities are more well, by by definition, more metropolitan. So, you know, I go out for Vietnamese food and I know Vietnamese people and I know Mexican people and I know people from Peru here in a big city. So there's a lot more familiarity. I think if you grow up seeing the same 400 white people from your village in rural Midland Michigan or outside of Midland Michigan maybe you're less worldly. It remains to be seen whether that's good or bad, but I I would say that you're not well traveled when you're around a bunch of other people from different places, but it's it's harder to say screw those people, let's run, run over them with our military if they're your neighbors and you have it for lunch twice a week because it's really good and your kid goes to school with a bunch of them, you know, people from that ethnic ethnic group and they're- you know, they have a festival at school and you're dressing up, you know, like that's, I think, making the world smaller. And since cities tend to be full of immigrants or people from different backgrounds, I feel like it's it's probably better. Not that mega cities are, are good for the environment or anything like that. But, you know, just as far different as like people getting along. Yeah, different, different conversation. conversation. Exactly.
0: If you could give one message to everybody in the world listening, what would you say to them?
1: Sometimes it's better to build a longer table than a taller fence with the resources that you've got. And I realize that a lot of people don't feel like they have very much right now, especially with COVID and the pandemic, and there's a lot of stress. But I think when we're in lean times, and unless you're heavily invested in the stock market, this is a lean time for a lot of people. It's tempting to build that taller fence, but really, what we do need is that longer table, right? It's scary to me that a lot of people are going the fence route when I think what the world needs really is is to to rally. And this isn't just kumbaya, but like this is a little bit meta, but or, or deeper than you probably wanted. But we're going to be facing like a rising China that Chinese people, great. Chinese Communist Party, authoritarian, not great for the world. You know, we really do have to settle our differences with a lot of these major powers and stop virtue signaling and being divided to one another because if if we're going to have great power conflict and we want to keep it from killing everyone, we really do need to be able to sort of buddy up to Australia, France, Germany, the UK, Mexico, Canada. Like, we can't sit here and beat each other up because we won't wear masks or get vaccinated. I mean, we have to really like decide what's important because right now the enemies of the free world are laughing at us for doing this. I know they are because they're causing some of this through disinformation. So people need to sort of like wise up and and check themselves and keep their emotions in check. But yeah, build that longer table, not that taller fence with the resources that you got, emotional, physical, whatever it might be.
0: Wise words from a wise man. Really appreciate it, Jordan. Thank you so much. And I'll catch you soon, bro. You got it, buddy. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast episode. If you feel inspired by this conversation, please share it with somebody who would enjoy listening. And if you're here for the first time, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to leave a review. Every week, I'm going to be looking through them and highlighting my favorite one. And with that all being said, I will see you guys next week.
1: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas?